Mana 3 Media. Okay, look, we're all fascinated by other people's stories. People we know, complete strangers. It makes no difference to us. We're here for it. We love to consume other people's stories. But if they can move us, ah, now that's the stuff. To keep a moving story both alive and celebrated. This is Story Preserve. Welcome to Stories from the Grove. This is the first episode in a series that shares a more in-depth look at some of the stories featured in our full-length documentary, The Grove, about one church in a small town that dared to believe that love is love. In this episode, Jody, one of the pastors at The Grove, talks about the idea that you are enough. To kick the series off, I'm joined by Jody's friend, Jill. I'm David. And I'm Jill. Yeah, Jill, not Justin, but a baker nonetheless, yes? Yes, definitely not Justin. The better baker? Are you the better baker? Yeah, definitely the better baker. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Since he's not here, I'm totally going to agree with right. that. Right. Totally yeah. going I'm to sure agree. I'm sure he agrees too. He probably does agree. <laughs> he better agree. He better. He knows. The better baker. Let's be honest. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. So Jill, I asked you to be my co-host today on this Story Preserve episode because our subject is someone you know well. That is right. So yeah, for our, about 20 years. Tw- oh, you've known her 20 years. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, I didn't realize it was that long. Well, today's story is about Jody Helpman. Jody is a pastor uh, along with Jeff, uh, also a pastor at The Grove. The Grove is a church in North Carolina in Bryson City. And we're actually working on a full-length documentary about them right now. Really excited about that. One of the things that has come from this doc is that we've got so much material. We have so many people whose stories we're not able to fully tell. And that's why on this podcast, we want to be able to do that. So Jody is a really uh, interesting person. I got to meet her and really fascinated with her and her life. Um, you guys are pretty tight. Yeah, I don't have a sister myself. And so when I first met Jody, so um, our husbands were on staff together at a church and Mm -hmm. we were probably 26 years old, something like that, having babies at the same time. So we were in the same point in life and in the same area up in Michigan. And so we really bonded over all things um, church, parenting, Um, just kind of being in the world at that point, at that age, and having such little ones. Um, But since then, um, we have just kept up with each other. And so the first person that I would call other than my husband in an emergency is probably Jody. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Now you guys have a lot in common. I mean, you're going through being mothers at the same time, roughly. A lot of your life situations overlap. Sometimes this leads to comparison and competition. Are you competitive with each other? Let's be honest. No, she might be. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, my personality is not competitive. Give us the dirt. Come on. Yeah, she's probably more competitive than me, but definitely not. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> no, we from early on, I don't know. It's, it's just been a special relationship because from early on, we have just been each other's biggest cheerleaders. That's why I thought it would be perfect to have you on here. I yeah. mean, who better than to tee this up uh, than you? So Jody, you know, in the short amount of time that I got to know her, um, I, I fell in love with her heart. She's got, she's a very earnest, sweet, kind person. She's obviously, she has a heart for social justice. She cares for the marginalized. She cares deeply for those who have not been seen. I love that about her. 
Um, but I've also been able to get to know her just by looking through all the raw footage because I'm editing the, the documentary and I learned a lot more about her. I learned a lot about her backstory. And so some of the stuff that didn't make the cut that we want to focus on in her story today are things like never being enough. Mm-hmm. That backstory about her life and those things that she had to come to the crossroads on, did that resonate at all with you? Yes, absolutely. I feel like it was probably about 10 years ago we started having that conversation with each other and telling, I mean, we literally have told each other, you are enough. And I love all parts of who you are. Mm. I'll tell you a quick little story of just how generous she is. When Do I it. turned 30, she got me a little gift. And I don't even remember what the gift is. But she decorated it with 30 different um, sentences of what she thinks about me. And one of them was, you are enough. And it said, you are intelligent. You are fun. You are beautiful. You are at 30 different things. And I kept all of those little tags. And I just still have them. <laughs> and it's I'm well into my 40s now. And I still have all those little tags. Hmm. The people that we choose to tell stories about, they're not necessarily profile people. They are strangers to our audience. Hopefully you'll find some commonality. I'm sure that you will. And so this is Jody Heltman's story. My name is Jody Heltman, and I am married to Jeff Heltman here at the Grove Church in Bryson City, North Carolina. So we, um, were, we were actually kind of in between jobs. We had uh, recently just left our position um, at Bridgeway in Grand Rapids, and and that was a really hard leave. That was a um, that was a time in our lives where I actually wasn't excited about looking for another church. But when we came to this town, we just really fell in love with the atmosphere. And I remember thinking, "Gosh, if they don't hire have like if they don't offer us this job, I I kind of just want to move here." <laughs> I. I we had little ones at the time, and it was just such a beautiful area. I lo- love, you know, just looking out and seeing mountains everywhere. And so uh, we were really drawn to uh, the space, like the town itself, and just it was such a difference from where we had come from and living near a city and kind of used to that. And so when it came down to it, when the Grove called us back, they originally had uh, interviewed us to come work with the students. So we were coming to be the youth pastors here. This was in the fall of 2006. Um, and when they called us back to offer the job, we just kind of wholeheartedly said, yes, uh, this is a place that we could see our family growing up. And, you know, at first we were just kind of coming in and, and thought, well, we'll give our all. And, um, I think what was interesting was that when we first got here, I didn't realize, like telling people in the town that we were here to work with the Grove, that that was going to have a re- a reaction from people. Um, you know, I just kind of naively was like, yes, we're here. We're, we're working at the Grove Church. And I, little by little, I would start to pick up on the facial expressions of people or what they might say to me when I said that. And that I could... I kind of learned pretty quickly that that wasn't necessarily a real positive thing to say. We we realized as we got here, the more stories we got, we kind of got to learn about the the history of this church, and, and um, we stepped into a position that was a lot harder than what we realized. And when we came here, this church had gone through substantial changes. Um, this is. Uh, this was, you know, the um, Franklin Grove Baptist Church, and we're on Franklin Grove Baptist Church Road, and 
And this church has been in this community. It's one of the oldest, uh, longest standing churches in this community. And, and so history, historically wise, like it's very well connected to a lot of families here. And what we soon began to learn was there was a lot of hurt connected to that. So when the church transitioned from being a part of the Southern Baptist Association to moving into an independent non-denominational, we weren't a part of those changes. Those changes had happened before we got here. What we soon began to gather was that, that there were a lot of people in our community that weren't happy with those changes. And they, they really wanted the church to have held on to where it came from and had not had transitioned. So we kind of stepped into this role, not understanding fully uh, the hardship that had taken place because of the transition before we got here. Um, it, you know, um, I, I remember one of the first times I went to, I went into one of the school systems to introduce myself. Jeff and I were just trying to make connections in the schools and make ourselves available as like new youth pastors in the town. And I remember, um, reaching my hand out to say, you know, I'm Jody Helpman. I work at the Grove Church. And the reaction of the person, um, they said to me, I know who you are. And they, and they, um, they took their hand back, like as if not to shake mine. And I, I mean, that's been long ago, but at the time, you know, I'm this young, like, you know, early twenties and just trying to figure out, you know, how to best do what I thought I was really meant to do. And it just little things like that would start to happen. And, uh, it, it started to really get in, get to me. You know, I, I started to kind of question if this was the right move. We realized pretty quickly that we, we didn't fit in, that we were different uh, for this town. And I honestly, at that time, I thought we're, we might not make it a year. I, or maybe if we did, it may not be much longer than that because I could just sense that there was a lot of, um, you know, feelings um, in comparison to other churches in this town. We probably were, I think we were here for maybe a year and a half and our relationship with the, the, the lead pastor and you know, I honestly, I feel like he came in and laid the groundwork for all this change and you could sense that it was really wearing on him and his family. Um, they, they really, to put it kind of bluntly, they kind of took a lot of the, the weight, they, like they, they kind of took on that, um, maybe I guess the word would be they took the hit. They kind of took the hit ahead of us. And I think it just really weighed on them. And ultimately they needed space as a family and they needed a break. And so when they moved, decided to move on, you know, here we were again, pretty, very new to this town and kids are still little and, and we were here to be youth pastors. Um, so what happened at first is we stepped into an interim pastor role because at the time the, the church, the, elder, the elders board, um, you know, they didn't want to just quickly hire. Um, they, they wanted to take their time with the process to find the right fit. So they asked if we would step in and kind of do both. So we did both. And that was like, it was just, it was a lot. I mean, I, I was, I wasn't even, I don't remember how old I was. I mean, we weren't even 30 yet, I don't think. I, I can't quite remember my age. Um, 
I hadn't turned 30, I know that. And, you know, the kids were still little. And so we had never thought that we wanted to be lead pastors or that we would want to work with adults. But um, we just kind of said, okay, we'll just give it a shot. We'll see what, what happens. So we were trying to, to balance both. And then ultimately, when the search committee started looking for someone to come in for that role, Jeff and I just kind of thought, why not put our why not put our foot in the door? Like we've been here now; they've been, they've been around us for you know eighteen months, almost two years, and um, and I, I'm probably off on that timing a little bit. But we decided to to put our names in for the job and just to see what would happen because we'd rather them re-interview us, kind of rule us out, and move on, and 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 then you know go in a different direction, or if they felt like we would fit. We thought, why not, why not give it a shot? We've already moved our family here. And so that's what we did. And so we re-interviewed with them um, and interviewed for the role of the lead pastor. And so uh, we were voted in and and then all of a sudden we were <laughs> in charge of this church. And I mean, it's just, it's it's been a wild ride. It's something that we never thought we would do. We like kind of, always imagined we'd be working with teenagers and um and so working and shifting and working with adults was was hard it was uh it was not something that i thought we would be ever ready for but it was um it's been a it's been both wild and and beautiful it, it's been challenging but also uh so much growth in us personally um it, 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 it's kind of remarkable to look back from then to now, um, who I am, who I was. Uh, it's, yeah. You know, for Jeff and I coming here, where, where we came from, you know, churches like The Grove were kind of everywhere. You know, they were a dime a dozen, or, you know, if that's a phrase to use. They, they, were, they were common. And so it wasn't unlikely to find another church that was similar and um, in coming here, we kind of stood out and we realized that pretty quickly, that, that we were just different. Um, and, and there are some beautiful churches here. There are beautiful, you know, groups of people. Um, I, th- I think, and I have to check, I, I'm not exactly sure the exact number now, but I, I believe like in our county, we have like 43 Southern Baptist churches. So, and we're a very small town. So if you think of the numbers and how many uh, churches are represented in, um, you know, the Southern Baptist Association, like we, we just, that sheer difference was, was kind of putting us at odds. And so for us to come and to try to do things differently that were, that were familiar to us, um, were not, they, these things were not familiar to the town. You know, right away we realized like our style of music or what we would try to do on a Sunday morning um, with a band having, potentially having drums or like a guitarist, you know, that right there was different. And even the feelings of, you know, incorporating a a different style of worship and kind of away from a hymnal, um, you know, that was something that we kind of Begin, began to feel a bit of tension. And, and that seems like such a small thing, and that was years ago, and, and that, that has changed quite a bit, I think, now. But at the time, that was a big deal. And it was a big deal that I was a woman. And I remember, I, you know, when I 
graduated and went to Bible college and, and went on to get my license to preach and, and pursued all these things that I just never, I never quite thought that I would be in, a, in an environment where being a female was something that was like not welcome. And I, I just, I remember one of the first Sundays that I ever spoke I felt so nervous and I felt, um, you know, someone, someone made a joke to me. Someone in the church said, you know, you better watch out. Like they're going to send someone from the paper here. Someone from the paper here is going to be here watching you. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and, and whether they came or not, I don't know. But it, apparently that was like a, a uncommon. So an uncommon place for a female to be in a pastoral role. And, um, that that was hard for me. That was hard for me to to kind of recognize that like who I was as a woman wasn't necessarily um, there. I, I heard, you know, if I if I was in leadership, but I was under like the headship of Jeff, or if I was, you know, I came under his covering, then that was acceptable. But if if it was me solo or me on my own, um, you know, that was kind of not welcome. Or I just I just felt I could feel and and again. I'm not speaking for this entire town because there's certainly that that's, but you know, sometimes when you, when you hear something that even if it's just a very small percentage, we tend to hear, um, we tend to hear the smaller voices than the larger crowd. And so I used to think that I had pretty tough skin. (laughs) And I think that working in a church, um, kind of destroyed that whole thinking. Um, if that makes sense, I feel like I, I realized over the years that I probably am not as strong as I thought I was because the hurt would kind of come in these waves and sometimes the wave would be so big that I just would say to Jeff, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Like I I don't know that I can be who this church needs me to be because I'm so sad by the people that leave or by the by what people say and and I would get trapped in my words sometimes. You know, sometimes when I'd be answering the phone, I sometimes would get phone calls of people asking me questions and, you know, me being who I am would, would just talk and, and not realize that, like, some of those words were used in, in turn against me. And, and that felt very sad and lonely. You know, it felt like I couldn't really make a, a close friend because I didn't know who the next person would be to leave. I had to come to the realization um, that my story and who I am and who I believe that I'm kind of created to be um, had to kind of outweigh the hurt. It had to be what got me up every day and, and kept me moving. And I think ultimately that's why we're still here. <laughs> I think we just we just didn't give up. We uh, and we had plenty of opportunities, you know, um, there were some times when, when certain groups of people would leave that I just thought I couldn't even get out of bed. I couldn't even recover from, um, you know, people that I had had at my house and brought them dinner and had at my table and watched their kids and, you know, that would just turn on, turn on and, and never speak to me again. Because it, it wasn't like, um, oh, we'll still be friends, but, and, and it's okay. It would, it would be like, kind of, I'm going to avoid you at the grocery store from now on, and I'm not going to call you anymore, and I'm not going to be a part of your life. And that that was hard for me. Um, 
we really, really got connected to um, the story of George Floyd. And when that happened, it became a big conversation in my family. We talked about it all the time. We know that our town, there's not a lot of a, a diversity here. You know, we, we, um, we don't have that same demographic as a larger city. But we wanted our kids to know, and we felt like it was important to have conversation around this topic specifically, and that race, again, is a very much a big part of um, the, mar the that marginalized conversation, that um, it very much is something that my kids, I want them growing up understanding that uh, the color of their skin doesn't make them a better person than someone else. So we talked a lot about it and Jeff and I, we just felt compelled to, to get on board. Um, we saw around the United States and even around parts of the world, you know, you, we would see these Black Lives Matter um, movements um, kind of surfacing, people doing, you know, a walk or a rally or a gathering, you know, and I know yeah, I mean, I know that there was a lot of things that were kind of painted in a bad light, and we just felt like we wanted to bring a peaceful voice and to say, even in Bryson City, like, we want people to know that we stand with you, that we're for you, that, that we believe in you. And so we started having conversations and getting getting connected with some people in our community that wanted to be a part of that, too. And, and um, in, in those conversations, it kind of led into... Um, hosting a, a rally and so we called it a, a unity rally a, a black lives unity rally and no sooner I mean it was I feel like the within minutes of us putting that advertisement out there it like picked up traction and it turned pretty quickly it kind of got out of our hands in some ways um, and I felt really nervous I felt nervous about it because there was this assumption that we were busing in people from Atlanta, that we were bringing in rioters, that the local businesses got, I mean, the kind of the, the talk among that part of our town was, you know, businesses were going to arm up on that day. They were going to be ready to, you know, fight for their business. And, and Jeff and I were like, holy smokes, like we literally just want to like have a prayer, sing some songs and pray for peace. And like, and walk around the town and, 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 and send that message. That's all we wanted to do. And we, we had, I mean, my kids were there. So it's not like we were bringing in like rioters and trying to cause, our heart would never be to cause any destruction in this town. And, um, and it was hard. It was hard that that was misinterpreted. And it was hard that the, the stories grew and grew very quickly um, because those things were said personally against us that 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 we were responsible and um i i i remember there was one particular comment that was talking about you know um if this goes awry we know who's responsible for it and we'll come for them like we'll come and i i read into that like oh my gosh like they're coming for jeff and i like we're responsible for this and at the end of it all it was beautiful and People gathered and and stood in that space, um, and it was honestly like a very spiritual, uh, 
loving, peaceful moment. And I was so proud of, of that time. Um, but I mean, we, we lost a wave of people from that too. I mean, people left the church. People um, were very upset and confused as to why we would align ourselves with Black Lives Matter or what that, you know, that phrase even means. Like we, it, it turned into something that it didn't need to. And that in our experience here, sometimes um, that has been the case, you know, that we, we believe that that's where Jesus would show up that he would want us to use our voices to stand with all people. And, you know, living in a bigger city, you're not going to a, a ball game in the grocery store and the doctor's office and seeing, you know, a handful of people from your church. You, you, but here in Bryson, um, it's hard to be invisible. You kind of are pretty visible and you have to either beco become comfortable in your own skin and who you are and hold your head up or it can, it can kind of destroy you if you let it. But I will say that for all of the, the very hard things that we've encountered and some of the very, very most painful and hurtful things that have happened, um, I have met some of the most beautiful people that I've ever encountered in this town and I've been able to be in relationship with some of the most honorable, loving, caring, um, life-giving people. And I think if I had not had that happen as well, sure, we probably would have left a long time ago. But having, the, having experienced the flip side of that and having experienced the beauty of community and, and growing together and learning together and people, um, People who were willing to take the time to, to see me and to get to know me for who I am, um, that's what made us stay. That's what kind of has kept us here. And I, and I do believe in a, like a, probably still seems a little bit far-fetched to think this way, but I do believe that we are here um, to serve a purpose for those who, who don't fit in in other places and spaces, who don't... Um, that don't have a comfort level when they walk into a church building. And we're trying to provide a space for those people who, you know, sure, there's a, loads of churches you can choose from. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of something for everybody here, but there, um, to have a specific space where we can say everybody can be here and can explore their faith and spirituality and have a space that's safe. Um, I'm, I'm, certain that that is why we're here. So I was raised uh, in an Assemblies of God church and I definitely grew up with the belief, a very strong belief, that anyone in the LGBTQ plus, and obviously at that time we didn't have, we, we kind of probably just said gay or lesbian or homosexual, that was kind of the phrase um, that was mostly used in church. Um, but all I ever heard, you know, from a very young age was that it was an abomination. It was sin. And if, if you were gay, you were going to hell. Um, and I didn't really engage in a lot of dialogue. I think I remember feeling there's got to be more to this conversation, but I'm too scared to have it. 
Um, and, and I'm sad by that. You know, I, I, I was nervous in a lot of ways, but for a lot of different topics, it wasn't just this one. You know, there were parts of my faith. Um, I definitely held on to the belief that I kind of had to fall in this particular like line of thinking I had to fit into the box. I had to not make any waves, especially, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but especially as a female trying to go into ministry, trying to become a pastor, I just kind of wanted to fit and I wanted to kind of be, be able to earn my spot. And so I was for sure drawn towards playing it very safe and not, um, engaging in anything controversial or out of the out of that box because I didn't want to lose my spot like I didn't I didn't want to and I also unfairly believed that God would be disappointed in me um I had that very much achiever pleasing God mentality and I had that level of be good do good speak good you know it was all about those things that kind of earned me favor. And so I certainly stayed very far away from this conversation for a long time. So doubting and asking questions was certainly not something that, that um, was taught to me as being per, like, okay, that we, we were, I kind of had this idea that don't ask questions. This is what the Bible says. It says it, we believe it, that settles it, move on. And so for me, when I say I, I believe that God would be saddened or disappointed, it, it was almost as if like if I said to a leader or said to a, um, someone, you know, p- perhaps a pastor or one of my professors, like, hey, like maybe we should talk about this. I just felt like that was going to be something that God would um, would it would, in the sense that like, I would be kind of stepping out of line, that that would not be okay, that 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 was not what I was supposed to be doing as somebody following Christ. And so the doubts, having doubts or asking questions was kind of off limits for me. And, and I can't, it's hard to explain how I felt like God would be disappointed with me, but I think that it was all wrapped up into like wanting to, to, be enough, like constantly trying to just be enough for God. And that included this, this particular conversation about the LGBTQ because I felt like if I was that voice that said, we might have this wrong, that I would certainly be out, out, outed, like out the circle, you know, God, God would part ways with me and that was the end of my story. So um, I can't really explain to you what I felt like God would do to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know why that, that, that seems like such an irrational fear when you articulate it in thought, but it's exactly how I felt, um, that I would be a disappointment to the church and to my family and to the role of being a pastor. Something about my personality that I've, <laughs> I have tried to keep at bay and perhaps like not make it part of who I am is and I guess I would say my empathy and my, my kind of my bleeding heart, it is the thing that continues to kind of like <laughs> guide me, but it also gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes. And, um, and it was that this part of me, 
I can't remember a time even as a child that it just hasn't overwhelmingly been a part of who I am, that I see someone else's struggle and I'm like immediately drawn to it, or I hear their story. Stories are very powerful to me. And so over the years, I felt like I had these like very pivotal moments where I would get a glimpse of like what faith was like for someone who was outside the circle. Or, and I'm talking any marginalized person. I'm, I'm talking anyone who didn't fit the mold. Um, just how hard it was for them to even get a chance to know who God was. And that felt wrong to me. It honestly felt like um, the opposite of who Jesus was or who he is and who he came to reach. That somehow the wrong people like, were showing up at the table because they were the only ones welcome. And that made that that's where it started to kind of unfold for me. And I remember um, when we were in Michigan and Jeff and I watched this documentary, I think it was like an HBO documentary. And again, this is like 20 years ago or 17 years ago. I'm not quite sure exactly when, but it was a long time ago for that for us to be challenged. It, it was a, a documentary about this after school program that was open to students young people who were struggling and I hate to use the word struggle so I use that very loosely so like but that was what it was kind of portrayed like questioning their sexuality or trying to discover who they were and so it was just a safe space for them to come play ping pong hang out you know whatnot and I remember all those years ago thinking the church is not that place and that is not okay like of all the safe spaces for everyone in this world, the church should be that beacon of light. The church should be that place of hope. And I knew that that wasn't true. So that, that was kind of a, a beginning of shift for me. And, um, and then I read it. I, so I kind of just started gr growing my like width of authors and, and reading and just picking up anything I could find. And, um, at first, I, have, I, I was definitely under the understanding that you can't be born gay. I believed that through and through. I thought it was a choice. I fully thought that that didn't make sense to me. You know, like, you know, no one could be born gay. I was definitely taught that. The more I got closer to, to actual individuals and stories and real life people, and watching like their tremendous anguish and struggle and emotional upheaval at the, 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 at the part of them who they believed at their core was who they were. And then for someone else to question and say, but that's, you can't be born that way. You're obviously choosing that. It made no sense to me that anybody would choose, that, choose a lifestyle that would shun them exile them, marginalize them, and keep them away from loving, connected relationships. It made zero sense to me. So that was a, kind of where I started. I started trying to, to discover, like, is someone, can someone be born gay? Is that possible? And if that is true, okay, and we are all created in the image of God, it made no sense to me that if someone could be born in a way that they were bearing the image of God, why would we, the church, not celebrate that image? Why would we, the church, say, but you're wrong and you can't enjoy a life of relationship and community and love? 
you cannot come into this church and be a part of who we are until you change, until you give up this part of who you are because it's wrong and sinful. So that was like a big shift for me because once I discovered, once I believed and I landed on the the belief that I I do believe that, that, that we are born who we are, that we are born and that's not something that I think that somebody one day is just like, I think I'm going to choose to be gay because that'll be real easy. Like every person that I've ever met that represents this community, they, they want to, they, they would not choose this life. You know, they, they wouldn't choose this because it's not the easy path. Like, and, um, so that kind of all began happening in my mind. And then, um, I had more kids, (laughs) four kids. And I read this book probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. And I remember specifically getting into this article or chapter where the author of the book was writing a letter um, to her son. She's like, this is my letter to my son if in fact he ever comes to me and tells me that he's gay. And I I could not get through that chapter without just, I was just sobbing um, because I felt exactly the same way. I felt like if one of my kids came to me and said, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian or, or whatever, I would wholeheartedly be with them and support them and love them. And there's nothing that one of my kids would ever do that would cause me to abandon them. If this is how my heart is like, again, the bleeding heart, the empathy, like if this is how my heart is responding, if this is how my soul is responding to what could potentially be true in my life, then I, ha- I cannot be incongruent to how I treat people in the setting of the church. Why would I abandon them and say, you can't come in, you can't fit in until you change, until you give up who you believe that you, you are? Um, for all of the harm and for all of the pain and for all of the unwelcoming moments of rejection that entire group of people have felt by the church, I feel like that I want to spend the rest of my days on earth sending a different message. And I believe that is what God is leading me to do. I've heard and I've been and I've participated in all the conversations on the other side where we focus on these like six verses of scripture and we're going to tear them apart and we're going to say this, but no, but this is what God said, but this is what God said. And I'm really like, I'm not a biblical scholar, but here are things that I know. The Bible the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. The Bible was written to the people who were in this time. And so there's these specific references and specific instances that we find are connected to that culture. And we don't take that and apply that, you know? I mean, no one that I know of is like, I can't eat shrimp because it's an abomination. But yet we, we pick out something else and we say, okay, but this we, we're going to take and we're going to apply this. And I think we would claim and, and agree and say that we believe that all human beings, there's not one human being that we can look it, into their eyes and say they're not created in the image of God. And if that's the truth, if that's 
if that rings true, it doesn't make sense to me that God would say, but you created my image, but this one part of you is so bad that until you get rid of this part of who you are, you can't belong to my family. That doesn't, that doesn't land with me anymore. And that can be, I mean, you're talk, I mean, we can talk race, we can talk poverty, we can talk, you know, social, economic despair, that whatever it is that keeps somebody off, out of the door, out of the community, off the table, it, that can't be a deal breaker in the church. We either are for all people or we're not. And I do believe that there's a lot of evidence in scripture that supports the mysterious, like grand scheme love of God that is way bigger than our understanding. I, I feel like that's undeniable. And, and, and therefore that's kind of where I am today. few years ago, a really good friend of mine came to me and asked if I would do her wedding. And she's a lesbian and she was getting married to her longtime partner, her girlfriend. And, um, and I, I still think back on that moment because I said no. And I hadn't, I, and I, I didn't have I didn't have the reason to say no, but I didn't, I, I felt like I was just kind of like, I, I don't know what to do here. And this has been my, this is a, a friend of mine that I've, I've been friends with her for 10 years. And I have regret around that decision. And I think for me, that was something that pushed me even further to saying, I can't, I can't be undecided. I, I have kind of I have this obligation not only to my friend or to my friends but because humanity like the, the, humanity is so diverse so there's so many different pockets of people we know very much that it's not black and white there's tons of different types of humans and I feel like that the overwhelming message that we see from Christ is that everybody is welcome. Everybody deserves a chance. And so therefore, for me, when I look back on my life one day, I, I, my hope is that I've done everything that I possibly could to make sure everybody gets, gets to the table. There was an incongruence in me that's been really kind of stirring for a long time. And it felt inauthentic to have personal beliefs and personal ideas and thoughts that I was like really grappling with and, and not to live those out anymore. The incongruence there just felt inauthentic to who I was and inauthentic to who I am in Christ. And I, I, I do believe that this is part of my story is, is the opening so that I can include more stories into my own. I believe that it's important for every person to feel like they have a space, even in a small town, even in a town where it's like, why, is, why, why would you make this decision? Let me tell you, because my kids have peers 
who don't feel like they could ever go to church anywhere. And they, they feel that they have been othered by the church and they are a part of that community. And, you know, my, my kids, like, they will tell me, you know, my, this person has come to me and said, if I ever tell my family that I'm a lesbian, I will be kicked out of the family. Stories like that compel me to believe that it, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I, I worry about my kids and I, I worry about my connections with um, the people in their lives because I don't want to, I don't want things to change for them. And sometimes because Jeff and I are more vocal on things that we believe in, I do sometimes worry that they are kind of at a disadvantage because they're our kids. And I know that sounds, that probably doesn't sound like logical because I think they love being our kids, of course, but we've kind of set them up to be in situations sometimes where they either have to, you know, and I, I try to emphasize to them, this is where we land and you can believe and think and feel anything you want to feel. And it does not have to be what, what we believe. Um, but I, that, that, that's something that comes to my mind that I think about a lot. We don't have to have uniformity. We don't have to be exactly the same for, for all of us to be doing God's work and being his hands and feet in this world. Um, not to put us out of sync with other churches, but to say, you know, we can have unity on all the things that bring us together about God. And I believe that even a small community it's important to have a space for everyone. So, you know, you may walk down the road and not feel like you fit in at this church, this, this church, and this church, but you can fit in here or vice versa. You may not come here and feel that this is your space, but there's beautiful churches right down the road. So I think that everybody needs to be considered. And because it's been such a longstanding part of our story with Jeff and I, and just, I mean, we have spent years in this conversation, years. This isn't something we thought of last week. This is a conversation we've been having for 15 years or more. And it, does, it doesn't feel right to keep backing up. For the 15 years or more of conversations that we've had, think of how many people have suffered alone, have been lonely, have not explored faith and not even given faith a chance because they don't feel like that they can belong, that they, that they would be welcomed or that they have to hide who they are in order to be welcomed. And I, that doesn't set well with me anymore. That's Jody Heltman. Hope you all enjoyed her story. Um, you know, one of our pillars at Story Preserved Jill is the idea of people over polish and she seemed like a really good candidate to actually talk just a little bit about what that means for us. Yes. When I heard that you wanted to talk about that pillar, I thought that's perfect for Jody because I'm not sure if your audience is familiar with Enneagram, but she is in Enneagram 3. She is always achieving far more than what I ever um, can do. I told her I wanted to run a marathon and she just kept running marathons with me um, and kept going past me, I guess. Um, so I think that that is a part of who she is, is um, she can be absolutely polished, but part of what you heard in her conversation is learning all the unpolished parts too. Mm, something that's warts and all. And in fact, 
we would prefer it to be just something that is about who these people are at their very core. So yeah, we're, we're interested in, in just telling the story of people as they are without trying to present the best versions of themselves. We just want to present them. And we think that there's great value in that. So people over polish and um, yeah, Jody is inspiring to me. I really have enjoyed getting to know her and uh, hopefully you all feel like just even by listening to this, you've gotten to know her a little bit as well. So Jill, it was fun having you on. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I, Anytime I can talk about Jody, I'm happy to do that. You sure before we leave, you don't want to tell like one dirty little secret on her. This is your last <laughs> no. show. No. Okay. Definitely not. Going to hold on to those. All right. Well, she'll probably thank you. So until next time, a story told is a life lived. We hope you enjoyed the show. Do you want to see what we're up to? Check out our YouTube channel or find us on social media. Just search Story Preserve. Easy. And look, if you like our podcast, why not tell a friend? Maybe click like or subscribe. Who knows? Sincerely, we'd love to know what you think. This particular series, Stories from the Grove, is a more in-depth look at some of the stories featured in our full-length documentary, The Grove. And so we are excited to announce that The Grove will be featured soon on multiple streaming platforms. Now, once we know the details, we'll definitely share an update with the dates it'll be available and where you can watch it. And finally, in each episode, we want you to ask yourself, what story do I want to tell with my life? Well, maybe we can help you with that because we would love to help you articulate your story. Just go to our website, storypreserve.org.